Welcome to worship. It's good to see you all. It's great to be back after um, a week off and various other unplanned adventures. We're going to start with the children and young people guiding us through some thoughts as we light our first Advent candle. We'll just let the last few people make themselves comfy and then I shall hand over to Sunday School to, to guide us through the first part of the service. I am the prophet Jeremiah, and the Lord has sent me to tell you. I made a wonderful promise to Israel and Judah, and the days are coming when I will keep it. I promise that the time will come when I will appoint a king from the family of David, a king who will be honest and rule with justice. In those days, Judah will be safe, Jerusalem will have peace, and it will be named, The Lord Gives Justice. I bring a crown, the symbol of God's promise that a king is coming who will rule the world with justice. Thank you. And let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Holy God, on this morning as we gather, the signs of the coming winter are clear for all to see. The day stands, the trees stand stark and bare against the sky. The daylight is in short supply. And although this morning it is cold and bright, so often damp dreariness suffuses everything. The yellow glow of electric light bulbs and the flicker of television screens hint at people huddled for warmth in the confines of their homes. And those who venture out battle biting wind or lashing rain. On this morning, as we gather to worship you, we seek signs of Advent hope. The glimpses of grace and hopes of glory the light that cannot be overcome, the ancient promises that sustained our forebears, the indescribable assurance that you love us with an everlasting love, fulfilled in your dwelling among us in the person of Jesus and in the counsel and comfort of the Holy Spirit who is always with us. as we prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate Christmas, as we join with families and friends in fun and festivity, as we combine our worship with that of all your children, help us to be alert for the signs of your activity in our lives, in our church, in our world. And grant that as we spot the signs, we may have the conviction to respond in faithful obedience. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 to 16, on page 770 of the Pew Bible. The Lord said, 
The time is coming when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the people of Israel and Judah. At that time, I will choose as king a righteous descendant of David. That king will do what is right and just throughout the land. The people of Judah and of Jerusalem will be rescued and will live in safety. The city will be called the Lord Our Salvation. And the second reading is from Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 36, which is in page 109. The coming of the Son of Man. There will be strange things happening to the sun, the moon and the stars. On earth, whole countries will be in despair, afraid of the roar of the sea and the raging tides. People will faint from fear as they wait for what is coming over the whole earth, for the powers in space will be driven from their courses. Then the Son of Man will appear, coming in a cloud with great power and glory. When these things begin to happen, stand up and raise your heads, because your salvation is near. Then Jesus told them this parable. Think of the fig tree and all the other trees. When you see their leaves beginning to appear, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, you will know that the kingdom of God is about to come. Remember that all these things will take place before the people now living have all died. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be on your guard. Don't let yourselves become occupied with too much feasting and drinking and with the worries of this life. Or that day may suddenly catch you like a trap, for it will come upon all people everywhere on earth. Be on the alert and pray always that you will have the strength to go safely through all those things that will happen and to stand before the Son of Man. Amen. just Waitrose, is it, that's luring us with the things of Christmas. Go past Oxfam and they will assure me that they've got the most ethical gifts for me to buy. Pop into Starbucks and they've got their red cups back for December because during December they support an AIDS charity but also red's a nice festive colour. Every restaurant I walk past wants me to book early to avoid disappointments. And everybody's got three for two offers. doesn't matter whether it's Sainsbury's or Boots or Superdrug or Tesco's or whatever. They're all trying to get us to buy something. Something is clearly happening 
the annual rush towards Christmas has begun. In fact, it probably began about August, actually. <laughs> but whatever our protestations, whatever our good intentions, we find ourselves caught up in it, don't we? I've written most of my Christmas cards. I wrote them when I was on holiday. I've had to change one because circumstances have changed. People are posting things that need to go overseas. We're choosing food. We're thinking who we're going to invite round. We're thinking where we're going to be. Some people are going to be away for Christmas. And it's very, very busy, isn't it? Lots of things to do. And I want to start by saying that there's nothing wrong with that desire to have some good times in the winter. Since time immemorial, people in these lands have needed something to celebrate in the midst of all the dampness and coldness and darkness of winter. And actually, a lot of what we do as Christians is stuff that's been kept from those ancient times. Our Yule logs, our Christmas trees, our decorations, they're actually all very, very ancient things that people did in the darkness to say, we need some hope that better times will come. It's good to have bright colours. It's good to enjoy good food. It's good to sing. It's great to get together with families because that somehow breaks through the darkness. And yet, it's also good to slow down and pause and think about what it is that is for us at the heart of the season. It's hard for us to imagine what it was like for Christians a century ago, never mind a thousand years ago, in these islands, when there was no light by electricity, no central heating, not a lot of food, and winter was a very threatening time. It was dark, and it was cold, and there wasn't much food. And people were preparing themselves for this great festival of Christmas. And in the churches in those days, they probably only had communion about four times a year. And the Feast of Christ Mass was a high point in that darkness to come together to share in communion, remembering that God came among us in Jesus. And they, they really thought it was important to get that right. So for the four weeks leading up to Christmas, they would fast. I don't think many of us would fancy that for a caper, would we, at this time of year? But they would do without food, or rich food anyway. They would pray. They would think about themes of judgment and justice, and especially about the return of Christ at the end of time. A very different sense of what Advent was about than it is for most people nowadays. And I think one of the things that strikes me is for us as Christians at the start of the 21st century is we need to work out how to make Advent relevant. How do we hold together a kind of ambiguity that is present in this season. It is a festive season. It's a time of parties and gathering and celebrating. But it's also a time of remembering 
what it is that it's all about. Preparing ourselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally to think about the coming of Christ and also the coming of God's kingdom and its fulfillment at the end of time. At its best, Advent is a time of hopeful waiting, prayerful anticipation, and faithful expectation. And perhaps it's a time that can force us out of our comfort zones, forcing us to look around and see things as they really are, to spot the signs of the times, and to think what they mean for us as individuals and as a church. I actually love Advent. I love the ambiguity of it. I love the excitement of it. I'm I'm terrible. I still wake up really early on Christmas Day, despite being, well, I'll be 47 this time, but I know I'll still be awake at five o'clock. It's really exciting. Um, But it's also a season when I choose to go back to the lectionary, the scheme of Bible readings used by the worldwide churches. I do that for a number of reasons. Partly, it forces us to travel the journey of Advent in a structured way, and I think that's really helpful. But it also means that I have to look at the themes that I might more instinctively miss out. Such as the traditional theme for Advent 1, which is the return of Christ, often referred to as the second coming. Now, if I say that... There's probably all sorts of thoughts going through your head because we all have different feelings about that. And a lot of those feelings are extreme and not ever so helpful. And in no particular order, I'm just going to remind us what some of those extreme reactions are. One of the extreme reactions is to say, well, that's just a load of codswallop, actually. Those writings in the prophecies of the Old Testament and the references in the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament and especially Revelation, it's all picture language, it's all metaphor, it's not real and it's just something, you know, for ancient people who were a bit simple and didn't know any better. So let's just ignore it. Another extreme opinion is... Actually, that's terrifying. It's just too scary to think these things that the Bible talks about are just, quite frankly, awful, some of them. And let's not go there because we'll we'll have nightmares. It's not a helpful way of reading it. And it's, uh, it's an understandable reason to avoid it. A third extreme is... A kind of misguided reading of books of Revelation especially. And an unhealthy fascination with these end times that people talk about. We've all met them, I'm sure, the people who in everything that happens in the world will say, that's a sign of the end. It's a sign that the Lord's going to return. Very um, honest, earnest people. But actually, they're so preoccupied with them being rescued from a bad and depraved world, that they misunderstand what it is that God is talking about. Now, the reality is, in this church, there are going to be some of you that think it's a load of codswallop. There are going to be some of you that think it's terrifying. There are going to be some of you who think it is absolutely fascinating and I really ought to be preaching on it every week. 
and there will probably be people who have other opinions altogether. If I'm honest, my own experience of this topic has been varied. Um, I remember my RE teacher, who was a lovely man, who used to try and terrify us all into the kingdom, and he used to tell us that Jesus was coming back very soon, and that the EEC, or Europe, you know, was the EEC in those days, which was then eight members, when it got to nine, that was the reforming of Rome, and Jesus would be back very soon after that. And it hasn't happened, and... Although I'm, it was sad that my RE teacher died quite young, I was really grateful he didn't leave to see himself prove wrong. He was an earnest and honest man, don't get me wrong. He desperately wanted us to share his faith, but he was misguided. I also have known people who have said, you know, it's just too scary. I'm, I'm not going to think about it. Or people say, just lay the coswallop. Not, it's just irrelevant. Let's not worry about it. And I've kind of moved around in my thinking over time. And actually what I've come to realise is what matters is not the how or the when. Even Jesus doesn't know when or exactly how. That's what the scripture tells us. What matters is that our thinking is shaped by the fact that God has said, there are promises that I have for you. I've actually kind of departed from my script, and I've got a list of some of the strange things that people have said over time. Some people thought the medieval plagues were the signs of the end. Do you remember the millennium bug and the worry about the year 2000? Well, apparently in the year 1000, people thought that was it. 1000 years, Revelation talks about 1000 years. Jesus will come back on the very first day of the year 1001. And he didn't. Year 2000, people got themselves worried. Some people thought the Antichrist was, he- was Nero. Some people thought it was Hitler. Some people thought it was the Pope. Some people probably think it's me. But we're all still here, and the consensus is that Jesus hasn't come back yet. It shouldn't surprise us, because Jesus warned his followers not to be fooled by people who are going, there it is, or there it is, or here it is. So I could give you the text, but I won't. It's an irony, isn't it, that sometimes the people who are the most earnest, the most sincere, are actually cast as the false prophets because they fall into the trap, and we fall into the trap, of thinking we know God's mind. When actually the only person who knows God's mind perfectly is God. And God hasn't even told Jesus some of the things. So in Advent, we're supposed to look at some of these readings and see what they say to us. And the two readings we've had from Jeremiah and Luke pick up that theme. It reminds us that it's important to look at difficult topics. So the prophet Jeremiah, I don't know how much you know about him, but he lived in a very difficult time. The exile in Babylon loomed large, and people were beginning to say to themselves, well, what have we done to deserve this? Life was pretty awful, and maybe life's pretty awful for some people here at the moment. And it's a really easy thing to find ourselves thinking, what have we done that this is happening to us? The book of Jeremiah is not a happy book. I had a tutor at college who told us we should read it all the way through in one sitting. 
When I got about halfway through, I stopped because I thought, if I read much more, I will be climbing up a very high tower and jumping off it. It's that depressing. Jeremiah has a relationship with God that is not an easy one. Jeremiah argues with God quite a lot. He wants to go on praying for the people, and God says, no, I don't want you to pray for them anymore. But in and through it all, there are glimmers of hope, signs of God's faithfulness, signs of God's promise. And we actually heard that little portion this morning. There is a sign of hope in all the difficulty, in all the darkness, in all the questioning, in all the wondering. God doesn't change. And God doesn't stop loving us. God, in this passage, recalls a promise made to both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The promise of the Lord our righteousness. If you're good at Hebrew, which I'm not, Jehovah Sidkenu, or something like that. And as Christians, we see that promise of the Lord our righteousness as being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we actually forget that that was first given to people five or six hundred years ago. Sorry, not five or six hundred years ago. Five or six hundred years before Jesus to people who were facing their own worst nightmare. Exile and the apparent loss of God's favour. What they needed more than anything else was some hope. And in those words, they could just glimpse a sign of hope, a sign and a reminder that God still loved them. No matter how much they'd fouled up, no matter what they were going through, God still cared, and one day, one day, that that promise of God would find its fulfillment for them. And it seems to me that the signs we need to be looking for at Advent are signs of hope, signs that God is active in our world, That God hasn't forgotten us, no matter how difficult life may be. And for some people, life is very difficult. That God is still our righteousness. That no matter how troubled we are about what's happening in the world, and let's be honest, it is quite troubling, God is faithful. Rather than being overwhelmed by the negative, Here's a question for us this Advent. Are we alert to spotting the ways in which God is active? The signs of hope. The signs of a brighter tomorrow. If we turn to the New Testament, we know that when Jesus lived on earth, people had been waiting a very long time for Messiah. And we need to remember that During his lifetime, most people didn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God. In that part of the world at that time, there were lots of people who came along as kind of would-be messiahs. People who were going to sort everything out. People who had gathered groups of followers around them. And they would say, you know, this is what's going to happen. People were waiting for the day of the Lord looking for the hints. Most of these would-be messiahs came to pretty sticky ends, it has to be said. And we get these strange passages in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the coming of the kingdom 
and the sign, the, the signs of the end of the age. And it's all sort of mixed up together. In the passage we heard read from Luke, it's part of a much bigger portion that speaks first of the destruction of the temple and then the sacking of Jerusalem and then the return of Jesus and apparently that's going to happen within one generation. Well, within a generation of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, the temple had gone. Jerusalem had been sacked but Jesus hadn't yet come back. It's a strange passage. It's a passage that we need to read carefully because we need to try to get into a first century Jewish mindset to make any kind of sense of it. It's not a kind of neat, timely, this, then, this, then, this in five minutes. It's a culture that was very different from ours. It talks about signs in the heavens. Now, as we get towards Christmas, we start thinking about the Magi, don't we, who followed star. See, for ancient people, what happened in the skies was a sign of what God was doing. So, these people would expect to hear language of things going on in the sky, the sun and the moon, to indicate that that something special was happening. And then the second sign it talks about is this stuff about the sea. Now, you're probably very intelligent people, but it was only a few years ago that I found out that Jewish people were terrified of the sea. Terrified of it, not just because they thought they might drown in it, but they looked back to Genesis and equated it with chaos. The waters that covered the earth, the chaos before God brought order. So what they were seeing as a signs would be chaos and things that were scary. Now, it's no good spending ourselves on trying to work out what all that means because we don't know, or I don't know anyway. But right through all that sense of worry and chaos and disorder, Jesus kind of turns into Corporal Jones in Dad's Army and says, don't panic. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. Don't panic. You mustn't be overwhelmed by what is going to happen. Hold fast to your hope. They all thought it was going to happen within a few years. The writings in the letters that are sent out to the churches, the apostles regularly tell off the Christians because they're sitting around doing nothing apart from waiting for Jesus to come back. You know, church isn't a waiting room where we who trust in Jesus wait for him to come back and rescue us. Church is where we gather as people who trust in the promises of God to worship God and to be inspired for the things that God calls us to do. We know that Jesus told his followers, you should proclaim the gospel. You should serve those in need. You should go out into the world and share the good news. Not sitting around in some holy huddle waiting for Jesus to come back and collect you. Rather than looking at the signs and waiting to be rescued, they were called to see as God sees a world in need. A world that needs to have hope, that needs to have love. And when Christ came, he brought the kingdom. It began. 
when we pray for it, we're kind of praying not for it to begin, but for it to be fulfilled. And I think one of the tasks that we have as Christians is not to look out at the world and see the bad things happening and say, well, this is a sign of the end. Actually, we're to look out and see, well, actually, over there is a glimmer of hope. There's a sign that God hasn't given up on us. There's a sign of God's grace transforming lives or communities. And actually, this is part of the mystery, is we are to become a sign of hope. We are to be a place where people see love and are loved and can give love. Where there is hope, where we can share the struggles. People have said to me today things that are happening for them that are difficult. We need together to be a sign of hope. Glimpses of grace and hopes of glory. I kind of feel I've rambled a bit, so I apologise for that. Perhaps it was the knock on the head earlier in the week, I don't know. But the important thing in Advent is to catch that glimpse of hope. That sign that no matter how dark or chaotic life may seem, God is still at work. The God who began to create in love way back at the start of time continues to love us all through time. God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. And as we live in this kind of now and not yet of the kingdom of God, we walk in the hope of God's promised Emmanuel. Advent is a time when we wait for the Lord, and when we look for the light, the light that cannot be overcome, the light upon the mountains. In our intercessions today, there is a very short response. When I say the words, your kingdom come, would you please join me in saying, Your will be done. Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's pray together. Holy God, ever with us and ever on your way towards us, we look to you this Advent, praying for your kingdom to come, but not fully able to understand what it is for which we pray. Come to us in our confusion and fear, in our bold certainty, and in our adamant denial. Surprise all of us with signs of hope and glimpses of glory. In our waiting, in our wondering, in our seeking, your kingdom come, your will be done. Advent God, hope of those who have no hope. You alone give us the reason and strength to keep on keeping on. This day, we pray that you will bring hope to those in this world who lack even the most basic gifts. Food to fill the bellies of children who ache with hunger. Homes to shelter old and young from heat or cold. Rain or wind. Education to free minds from the tyranny of ignorance. 
justice, to bring opportunities to live life in its fullness. Especially this day, we pray for those whose lives have been irrevocably changed by the floods in northwest England and southwest Scotland, asking that hope may pierce the darkness of despair they may feel. God of hope, we pray for hope. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Advent, God, love of those who have no love. You alone are the one whose love never changes or ends. This day, we pray that you will bring love to those who are seen by themselves or others as unlovely or unlovable. Addicts who find escape from emptiness in the false high of alcohol, drugs, exercise, or even work. Anorexics and bulimics, whose false body image destroys their self-esteem. Members of minority ethnic or religious groups who feel threatened or marginalized because of their race or beliefs. Ourselves, on the days when we despise or reject the things we have done or the things we have failed to do. Especially this day, we pray for those whose lives have been irrevocably changed by violence or abuse, both victims and perpetrators, asking that love may pierce the darkness of self-loathing. God of love, we pray for love. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Advent God, joy of those who have no joy. You alone are the source of inexhaustible delight. This day, we pray that you will bring joy to those who hide behind desperate pleasure and empty smiles. Those who face Christmas with trepidation, fearing arguments or rejection. Those who seek to escape their loneliness in cheap thrills or lewd exchanges. Those who dread the empty chair, the missing face, the absent friend. Those for whom their emptiness and longing hangs like a perpetual fog. Especially this day, we pray for those who are separated from those they love whether by sickness or circumstance, asking that joy may pierce the darkness of grief, regret and pain. God of joy, we pray for joy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Holy God, this Advent, please help us to spot the signs of your activity in a world where hope, love and joy can seem in short supply. We pray for the kingdom to come, for this world to be made new, and for your promises to find their ultimate fulfilment. Until then, help us not merely to be watchers, nor yet to see ourselves as judges, 
but rather to work with you, to bring all into the light of the glorious hope we have in Christ Jesus. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the abiding fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and those we love today and always. Amen.